0: and welcome to the sunny 16 podcast and if you can't already tell by the fact that your ears have been blown out by my deafening yell things are a little bit uh, different this week because we've been abandoned by aid um i don't know what to say he just upped and left without so much as a buy your leave but fear not because this is why we have the amazing rachel with us to make sure that he's not missed in the slightest um rachel how are you
1: I agree. I'm okay. I'm slightly apprehensive as to how this week will go. I can't imagine why, but uh, I'm sure we'll get there in the end.
0: Well, you know what? We have made sure that everything is going to be great because... Whilst just having you and I to chat about all the fun things that we've been doing, and we've both done so much in the last week, we've got with us a returning superstar. Um, he was our first ever guest on the... No, actually, second ever guest. I keep forgetting about Dave. Um, I think that's because my memory tries to blank it out as a traumatic incident. Um but our first certainly non-UK guest on the show, and so he's been here when it's been a bit of a car crash, when we were getting our head around it all, so it's perfect to have him back when it's likely to be another car crash of a show. (laughs) Welcome back, Corey Cannon.
2: Hey, how's it going?
0: (laughs) So laid back. (laughs) Uh, It's great to have you back, Corey. I think the last time we spoke to you was before Christmas, so it's been ages so i expect you've been up to absolutely tons of stuff um for listeners who maybe didn't listen to your first interview or your second interview you've been on a couple of times you are at pinhole Cannon on instagram and as the name would suggest um pinhole photography is a large part of what you do so what have you been up to pinhole wise lately
2: pinhole wise lately just trying to beat the heat it's been so hot um other than that just some family trips and Just still shooting pinhole stuff. That's about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very exciting.
0: (laughs) That's brilliant. And I mean, that's the kind of extensive answer we were really hoping for. You've just been out doing some pinhole stuff. Um, You did go on a trip fairly recently, didn't you? Because I saw some pictures. Where was it you went to?
2: We went to the mountains um, of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Expand on this. (laughs) And we just took a family vacation and went camping and I climbed through a bunch of rivers and took a bunch of pictures so uh, and that was st- about it.
0: Are you still shooting with your um, Reality So Subtle at the moment?
2: I am. I have the, I've upgraded though and I got the F with the filtering. Mm-hmm. So that makes, that makes, um, opens up a little bit of opportunities and Sounds I'm like- still shooting with that and the 6x17. I haven't been shooting the 6x17 a lot, but now that I have a little dark room going and I can do contact prints. Uh, I'm going to start doing little miniature little contact prints of the six by seventeens and matting them. So
1: that sounds cool. I did. I did try and um, explain to Aid how he should just go about doing some contact prints. Actually, um, when he was <laughs> talking about getting his his pinhole, and I was like, right, well, then all you need to do is some contact prints. You can get some nice little miniature images with that. And uh, but yeah, he he wasn't convinced. I don't think
2: <laughs> it's so easy
1: exactly this is what i said so yeah obviously aid's not here this week but maybe. in his absence we can tell him how easy it is and that he should be doing that we can maybe we about him. yeah, yeah. exactly
0: <laughs> well this seems like maybe- a good sorry this seems like a good thing to talk about actually Corey. because when we last spoke to you because you've um been shifting around a bit i know you were moving stuff about last time we spoke and you didn't have a dark room you just had a desire to get a dark room set up again so you have now got your dark room set up so what does that comprise of how much of a faff was it to get the darkroom set up?
2: Um, It's not, it was pretty easy. Actually, Uh, I have a really close friend who does, uh, builds furniture. And so he was looking for somewhere to just kind of have like a showcase where he could like put his furniture because he does a lot of custom work. And I said, Hey, if you get a place and there's a room in the back room or a storage room or something in the back and you're not using, let me know. I'll, I'll, you know, I don't mind paying, you know, to have somewhere to go where I can do it because I can't do it at home. And about a year he looked for a place and you find a place and a couple months ago he called me up and he's like here we go man if you want it it's here so i had to buy some plywood and put over a sliding glass door and a bunch of black plastic but i'm here now and i'm set up and printing is great
0: so what have you got you got uh, an enlarger in there obviously yeah so um, what sort of enlarger have you got is it one for you you're mostly you're almost entirely medium format aren't you
2: yes i'm not um, yes, I'm only shooting more medium format. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about your 35
0: millimeter adventures a little bit later.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, um, so right now, I'm, I'm shooting I'm, my enlarger I have is a Bessler 6x7, uh, so I can do up to 6x7 negative quite, size. I can shoot up to, who knows, 16x20, 30x32 30 uh, paper image size.
0: And was this an enlarger that you'd already had that was just waiting for a home, or was this one you picked up recently?
2: No, yeah, this was. I mean, I, I picked this up a couple of years ago uh, from this guy who was just having a garage sale. And I got the, I got a whole darkroom set up for like fifty bucks. Then larger the clock, the grain focuser, everything, bottles, trays, tongs, everything. And um, I got it set up in my in the house we were living at before a couple of years ago. And I just got going with it, uh, and then we moved. So it's been sitting in storage for uh, eighteen months, nineteen months. So. I just got it out and set it up. I had to buy new chemistry. Everything was expired, gone bad. But yeah, I love it. It's great to have a place just away from the house that you can go and do anything. I mean, even like I'm trying to build a pinhole camera, so a big pinhole camera, so I can't do it at home. So now I have somewhere where I can set up stuff and work on things and fidget and print and do what I want to do.
1: So the pinhole camera oh, that you're building, Corey, is that uh, what sort of size is that you're looking at for that?
2: 16 by 20.
1: Wow, and is that for a particular project problem. that you have in mind?
2: Just in general, I mean, just in general photography. <laughs> it's gonna be my pointing shoot my point and shoot is when you <laughs> pin on camera, you know, and carry it around with me. But your pocket well,
3: camera,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's my pocket camera. I'm, I want to just set it up so I can. My plan was to get some of uh, the the, the Harman Direct Positive paper and mm-hmm. start just doing one-off images, you know, fine art style images, uh, and and do a series, and maybe you know, hopefully sell them as a series. But I have to wait until I can get some the the direct positive paper because Ilford is, um, I guess, you know, just waiting to redo it. the are redoing the formula or the motion or I don't know what's going on, but I can't get it anywhere um, over here in the state. So I think I'm just going to try RC paper and get it all dialed in. So whenever that happens, it'll be ready to go. I got some I ordered some x-ray film too have you guys shot with any x-ray film before?
1: No, I never have had chance to do that. Actually, um, one of our guests, um, Declan, he uh, recently he was talking about having had a, a dental camera. Uh, and mm-hmm. my dad used to be a medical photographer, so he he used to also shoot with you know various different types of you know X-ray film and things. But I've never actually had a go at it. Um, how have you found it?
2: Well, I, it's in my freezer right now. I haven't. Um, I just got it a couple of days ago. A couple weeks. Well, I guess maybe about a month ago. I was talking to um, James. Uh, the guy that makes uh, the reality pinhole cameras. And I was talking to him about ordering some pinholes, and he um, he mentioned it. And he was like, "Hey, you should check out you know doing the X-ray film because you can do it under a red light. You know, you can develop it by inspection. It's really easy to handle. You know." So I was like, "Yeah, hey, okay." So I ordered some. I found some.
0: It's quite cheap, isn't it? As well compared to ordinary film.
2: Oh yeah, my gosh! It's it's. I got a hundred sheets of eight by ten for i don't know like 20 bucks 25 bucks that's yeah
0: that's quite a lot cheaper yeah i understand so
2: it it scratches
0: very easily doesn't it that's the one big problem with um the x-ray film is it's very um delicate in that sense
2: that's what i read i I haven't even opened i've got the box um at home i haven't even like opened it up yet until i can bring it up to um to to my my lab i guess you know but that's what i heard it's emulsions on both sides uh and he was saying you need to put like a piece of plastic in the tray when i develop it mm, yes i've S- supposedly that. supposed to be really weak uh developer too like i think i think james says he used road you know like one to 100 mm. or something and so i don't know i got to get it up here i have a i have a cigar box um a wooden cigar box that I, that's a little bit bigger than five by seven and i'm going to take that and use one of my uh pinholes and turn that cigar box into a little five by seven panel camera. And that's going to be kind of like what I'm testing with until I build a, a proper eight by 10. Uh, Cause I want to build one so I can get film holders. So it's not one shot only carried around all day just to take a picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So once I get that set up, then I can, uh, you know, get some film holders, but to, for testing and just figuring out how to work it and what, and you know, everything else, I'm just going to do like five by sevens. Cause I, I think 5x7 contact printed is just right. It's a really yeah, nice I, size. I've
0: never tried contact printing. Um, so oh, it's- man. It seems like it's the way for it. I know we, we were talking um, on Instagram about my problems with getting um, large format negs scanned, which I have more to talk about later with that. Um, but, um, yeah, you certainly made the suggestion of just contact printing them, which makes a lot of sense for the black and white, certainly, but not the color, which is what I've had so far. Um, mm. I'm interested, Corey, because you said you you're you wanted to make a super massive um, box camera, a pinhole camera what was the size you said you wanted to make 16 by 20 so so what are the logistical problems that i mean that cannot be an easy thing to do to make something that is that big that you can actually take anywhere i know that a few people have done this in the past but it seems like an incredible challenge to build something that is actually functional and usable that is that big and and also the whole thing of getting paper holders to to fit in there i mean what you what's the approach or have you not figured this out yet
2: no i've thought about it and just like you said i don't even know if i can even get 16 by 20 holders you know Mm. so my plan is going to be just instead of making a camera that has the ability to accept you know film holders i'm just going to make it like a a, you know traditional box where i can take the face of it off Mm -hmm. put the piece of paper that I'm going to be using in the back, you know. Close it up, and just it's going to be a a one-off, you know, just one shot. I'll just have to plan and think ahead, you know. Like I have certain days that I like to go out and take pictures, and I, have, you know, like I don't like going out and doing pinhole pictures on days when there's no clouds. I like I like clouds and that whole kind of like light speed look where the clouds are like you know zooming by. It works better with pinhole, I think, anyway. So I mean, I'm going to be really picky about when I go out and use it and where I use it we're going to the mountains again for a vacation again. So, you know, it'd be great to bring it if I had it made, but even if I had it made, how am I, I mean, I'm going to carry it along and just take one shot. <laughs> so I'm going to <laughs> carry it in the back of the back of our van. Um, or we have a big giant, like 10 passenger Ford van and we took the back rows out and we made a bed in there. So we go camping and stuff. But I mean, how am I going to, how am I going to change the film minutes? You know, I, I have a change of bag, but it's not big enough for that, you know? So,
1: you need you a changing need to tent, clothes. don't yeah. you? Really? Yeah,
2: you <laughs> need you have to go old school, Corey. You need a big yeah. sheet yeah. put over your head.
1: Absolutely. And maybe yeah. what you could do, maybe you could add a couple of straps to the actual box itself and make it into a backpack. It's a, a <laughs> yeah. backpack pinhole camera. There we go. That's my new TM. That's mine.
2: <laughs> That's yours. That's my, own,
1: my new idea. That's all right. But you, I'll lend you the idea if you want to okay, add cool. a couple of straps to it and then take it as a backpack up a mountain. That sounds pretty That's cool good, to me. Idea.
0: <laughs> just so long as right. all the money you make from people desperate to get this product from you and take on the idea you know rachel needs her cut from it
1: absolutely it's, there's
0: been a few people lately who have been making um homemade pinhole cameras i mean i know it's always in mm. but um we were talking recently about uh, dan smith who made a four by five pinhole out of a cigar box um mm. and it looks very results, pretty as
1: well mm. yeah
0: it looked really nice and he got great results from it um and somebody asked you, you've probably seen, um, this on Instagram, Corey, but, um, for when you're doing your four by five, um, Alex Purcell at Grainy Blur is in the yeah. process of making his big muff camera. Um,
2: yes, which is a great, great name, man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, cause of course, the thing is, he's, he's also figuring out ways to be able to adjust the position of the pinhole. Cause that's the thing you're used to with the reality so subtle is that you've got more than one pinhole so you can adjust the horizon line. Um, <laughs> Which is an I don't use
2: mine that much. Oh, really? I don't. I don't know what it is about it. I've I have used it when I first got the camera, and, I, and you know, and I'm figuring out this or figuring out that. But I just I don't know. I haven't really. I don't really really use them. I don't ever use it actually. I normally just stick with the center one. It depends. If you're shooting with the six x seventeen, then you have to use the rise or the lower one. You know what I mean? You know, like the, It's not in the middle unlike the 6x6, six six, which has one in the middle, then it just has the rise, you know? Yeah. So so
0: now that you're printing stuff, rather than just um, scanning it all straight in, has it changed what you're shooting or how you're shooting it? Have you actually adjusted your style at all to to make a, take advantage of the differences?
2: No, style, no. Um, mainly, I have such a backlog of negatives that I'm going to be able to print them for a while before I get to where I need to start shooting again. You know what I mean? I'm still going to be shooting, of course, but... I'm going to have to change some other things that I've been doing that because I've been just developing my film and going straight into scanning uh, and not putting my negatives into an enlarger and, you know, enlarging them and, and looking at them and, and really like checking like densities of, of my negatives or, or, you know, anything really that really matters for when you want to go and print them, you know. Uh, and I found that go ahead I'm sorry
1: so, sorry Corey do you find that you're doing much kind of like you were saying you're looking more at your negatives now that you're in the dark room and using the enlarger and what have you do you find that you're doing much kind of dodging and burning and those kinds of techniques as well or are you relying on you know putting it in and doing the scanning for for maybe negatives that need a bit more work
2: yeah well when I'm doing I mean when I'm in here with my enlarger I'm doing everything that I'm doing in uh Lightroom, basically but you know Contrast wise with filters, burning and dodging, and uh, it's the same thing. And isn't here? It just takes so much longer to do it than you know as it does with the -hmm. negatives. But I've been doing developing with um, developing my negatives with diafine, which is like a two-part compensating developer. Mm -hmm. And before I I didn't really notice that my negatives are kind of uh, kind of flat and thin. Um, I don't know if it's just because there's such a short developing time. I haven't really completely figured out. That developer, I'm still learning it, but like I'm getting in here and printing, printing with my negatives, excuse me, and I'm realizing like, oh wow, I'm having to go up to two and three, filter uh, contrast filter. So I think I might just go back to D76.
0: Is it kind of because? Sorry, what for the idiots in the audience, i.e., me, what is a two-part compensating developer? Because I ain't got a clue.
2: I'm, I'm not. I'm still. I can't really explain it 100% either without. Sound like an idiot, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a part A and a part B solution. Um, so part A develops for your highlights, I believe. Um, and you don't, you don't do a whole lot of agitation mm-hmm. and then you pour part A out and then when it, your film absorbs part A and then you put part B in and it works on the shadows, um, is, is how I have come to understand it. I'm sure that's, that's, somebody's going to correct me and please do. Um, but it doesn't, you don't have, you don't have any times like, you know, like you, you look at the chart when you shoot a film and say, okay, this is 12 minutes at so 68, you know, whatever. You don't have to do that. You can, you can shoot any speed is always three minutes. Ah, does it's that make sense? like
0: C41 in that respect.
2: Yeah, exactly. It, do, it doesn't matter what your ASA is that you shot your film at. You're always going to be at three minutes in part A and three minutes in part B a water rinse, and then you just go straight into your fix for black and white. So, uh,
0: so what was it that led you to die find in the first place? Cause it seems like an, an odd, I mean, when you were choosing developers, I always go for whatever it looks like. It's going to be the easiest and most um, easy to find option. What took you to Diafine find in the first
2: place? Well, I was always using, just using D76. And I talked to one of my buddies who lives a couple hours away and he has, he does developing and prints and stuff. And, I was talking about it. I was like, "Oh, I'm developing this," and I can't remember what film it was, but it was like 13 minutes. You know what I mean? And he's like, "Oh, you should try. You know, you should try try the dye fine and three minutes and a A and B and you know whatever temperature you have in your house, you know, or whatever. It's it's fine. You can use it at that, and you can mix different speed films." And so I was like, "Oh, I'll try." You know, so I tried it, and it was nice. And at the time, I I was just developing and then i just scan my negatives and when you scan them you have no problem because when you get in the lightroom you can adjust contrast or do whatever you want to do you know but when you put it in enlarger and you start looking at it you know and you kind of you're like wow it's kind of thin you know so i don't know i might be doing something wrong temperature wise um if anybody has extensive experience with with it let me know because i'm changing my developer
0: <laughs> what developer do you use rich do you have a go-to
1: Um, I I tend to use the Ilford to be honest Um, I'm currently using the ID11 Mm-hmm. Um, I just found that, um, you know, a, pay, a, a sorry, a powder powder developer is just more economical, to be honest. Especially when I've got such a big backlog of <laughs> of uh, films that I need to develop. Um, I thought I'll just buy a powder one and and uh, mix that up myself. And obviously, what you can do is you can do it at the uh, at the stock rate, or you can obviously dilute it down to certain parts as you need to, um, which is great because it means you can stretch it further if if you want to. Um, it just means that your development time is a bit longer so uh, it's nice in that it's quite versatile it gives you um, a chance for if you just need to get them sort of like done if you've only got you know 20 minutes to sort it out then you can just whack it in you know sort of stock Um, but if you've got a little bit longer let's say you've got an hour to to develop a few then you know you could always uh, stretch it out a little bit and uh, leave it as a slightly longer developer time
0: and do you tend to just stick with the one developer or, or do you dilly dally with other stuff as well
1: uh to be honest i tend to stick with that one um well uh, with uh, uh oh gosh uh i'm trying to think of the one that i used to use and it's totally gone off gone out of my head um so i was using one of the other ilford ones and that uh, currently i'm using the id11 because i've still got about four liters of that <laughs> left <laughs> oh, wow. um so yeah i'll uh, i'm working my way through that i've probably got about uh, four or five months left of it before it will expire because it's in the sort of airtight like containers yeah. um so obviously the more air is in there the the you know quicker i'll need to use it up and what have you so i'm just kind of keeping an eye on that really um i can't think of the one that i was originally using but it tends to be the ilford ones simply because um it, it's useful for me at home and um, processing my own um, uh, rolls that i'm shooting But also, it's nice and consistent for when I'm teaching workshops. So it means that I can go pretty much, I know what the results are going to be like before people are starting to try things out, especially when it's maybe the first time they've processed or something it's just good to have that consistency and have that knowledge that it's going to come out (laughs) so uh so it just makes sense really for me to do that if if i had a bit more sort of um time or you know um a little bit more of a slush fund shall we say to kind of let's try a few different types out uh that's definitely something i would like to do um it's just not something that's uh sort of economically um practical at the moment so yeah how about you, Graham? I know, obviously, you shoot with. Sorry, you process with your C41.
0: Yeah, with um, yeah, I use the Fuji <laughs> kit for the C41 because that's just lasting forever. Because that's, I mean, that's yeah. real good value for money. That stuff with the black and white stuff. Um, I have been using uh, well two for the most part. Um, the first one is the Ilfasol three. Um. Which was the first one i ever started out with because it's just so easy um i've only ever used liquids um and ilfasol uh, has always done a pretty great job for me um i did pick up some fx39 at one point i think because i was the problem is with developers is there's so many out there and you go mm-hmm. on forums and different people are using different ones and saying oh, i've had a great results with this or, oh, i'm doing well this is great for this and you start thinking well, maybe I should be being more adventurous with my developer because everybody else is doing all this stuff and they're doing stand development and they're doing, um, you know, who knows what with it. And so I thought, okay, well, I, I want to try something else. So I went up to my local supplier and he said, well, you know, why not give this a try? I'm, I'm not entirely sure with hindsight why I would give it a try because <laughs> FX39 is a developer that is uh, particularly well sort- suited to the... Um, is it T-grain types of film? So things like I think T-Max and T-max, uh, yeah. Ilford Delta, um, neither of which are films that I really shoot. Um, so that wasn't I have barely used any of that. Um, and the other one I've used primarily has been the um, not the Ilford the HC one ten. Uh, I bought a bottle of that because I've got this bulk roll of really old Ilford HP5, not HP5 Plus, but HP5, which must date back to, well, let's say the 1980s at some point. Um, so this is before
1: the Plus came in.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. And it's pretty foggy. The first roll of film I shot through it, I really struggled to get anything out of it. And so I, I read up a bit on it and. Um, HC 110 was recommended as being a good film to use, a good developer to use with the old film because it does reduce fogging um, and it saved me having to. There, there are other things you could do. There's a chemical, and I cannot remember what the name of the chemical is, but there's a chemical you can add to also try and reduce fogging, but. You know, I don't have the lifestyle which suits having more chemicals kicking around terribly well. Mm. Um, so I used all that bottle. I have got another bottle of HC-110 now. The only thing is this is a really dumb thing and I will use it because I'm nearly out of my Ilfacil 3 but it's the concentrate form of HC-110 so I need to dilute it down before I can use it and just having the extra steps like oh this <laughs> is a hindrance <laughs> because i always have so little time and whenever i'm developing it's always late in the evening and um so if there's even one small step which gets in the way i think oh i'll do it tomorrow i'll just mm. put this off um but i do like hc 110 and it's it's very good for a whole lot of things but yeah i i keep thinking oh i ought to try different developers everybody says using Rodinol or D76, D76, right? Or yeah. XTOL or all this stuff. Um, I think the reality is that unless you're really shooting a lot of stuff, you better just picking one that you find works reasonably well and sticking with it because otherwise you're going to drive yourself crazy in yeah. search of the perfect developer. um I just
1: and it's a combination of them as well and there's so many variables isn't there so you know it's obviously it's about which film you're shooting it with and on what camera you're shooting it with and then you've got you're adding in the extra step of which developer to use and and i think it's really interesting there are some people who really go down that's what they absolutely love about the developing side of it it's it's all about the um you know how how you get warmer tones or cooler tones or more grain or less grain or what have you um but i think i'm i'm probably with you graham it's like I stick with you know one or two that I know give me these results because um, because that suits my purpose. But that's obviously not not the case for everybody. Um, Corey, how about yourself? What which ones do you tend to use?
2: I've always been a D seventy six. I really like D seventy six. That's what I've always really used. I, I tried the Diophine, Um and I, and I don't know. I mean, with if you're using a traditional camera with like a lens that has contrast control and. And, and, uh, and not a pinhole camera. Because doing pinhole photography, I mean, you're already starting off with low contrast. So I don't know if that, if the die would work better with mm-hmm. 35 millimeter film or like film shot through, you know, a, a, a proper lens and with, you know, everything. So I don't know. I think I'm going to go, I think I'm just going to go back and to doing uh, using D76 because I, I kind of get, I get the look I want out of it, I guess, you know. And the only reason I went for the diaphragm was just because of the development times were so short three minutes in part a three minutes in part b three dumps and then you know whatever your fixed time is and that's it you know
1: wow yeah that's so. that's like instant
2: <laughs> yeah Pretty i know I, uh, so i don't know if i don't know if if that means that my negatives are thinner because it is a shorter development time i don't know uh, like i said i'm just i've just started using it a little bit i, I bought a really small amount of it and um now that I'm seeing, looking at my negatives under the enlarger, I'm just kind of like, oh, you know, so I think I might go back to doing uh, D-76. And I've thought about trying XTOL and everything else, and I might still do it, but I'm like you, Graham. My time, my time is kind of, I only have so much of it, so when it comes down to the, you know, I mean, this just do this or that or do this, and I know that I've, I've always used and works, and I like the way it looks, so we'll see.
0: And also, I think, as Rachel was saying before, it's really sensible to reduce the number of variables because um, we're all, well, some more than others, but we use different kinds of film, we use different cameras, we're shooting in the different conditions. And um, if you can make at least one of those things constant, you have something to work from. Otherwise, when you start running into problems, you just don't know what, part of the process is throwing up the issues. Is it the film? Is it the camera? Is it the developer? But sure. if you've got one thing you know and you can rely on and you're familiar with, um, it gives you a much surer footing for going forwards from there. So, um, right. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Cause you, are you still tending to shoot mostly with, um, Neopernac cross 100? Is that still your go-to? For
2: me? Yeah. Yeah. I still am. I haven't even, um, I tried some Delta film and I don't know. I mean, I tried some Ilford film and I don't know if it's just me um, but whenever I, I hand roll, when I develop it, my film, you know, I put it on the on the Patterson click reel, the plastic click reels. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Ilford films, for some reason, they, it seems like they have a thinner, uh, like the base is thinner than the Fuji film. Mm-hmm. Like the actual acetate that, they, that you know, that the silver is being put on is thinner and it doesn't have quite, I don't know, I don't want to say tensile strength, but like when you take your fingers... And you kind of like bend it so that it kind of firms up the edge that you've cut to like get it going into the slots. You know, Uh, the Ilford film seemed to curl a lot, a lot worse. Um, And I just I got I've gotten really mad at it a couple of times, you know, like I have my hands in the the bags. you know, and it's been like 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't. You know what's going on with this? You know what I mean? And it just was it was just really aggravating to me because um, spooling up medium format film is totally different than doing 35 millimeter. There's no tricks, you know, like with the 35 millimeter you can kind of pull out a couple inches and just kind of get it started and put it in there and zip it up and do it, you know. So medium format, you don't have any of that. You gotta like totally bust it open and start from scratch completely mm. dark, you know. So that's why I, I like using uh the Fuji. And the reciprocity and and you know for doing pinholes, you know I mean I do pinholes sometimes for five minutes and it's nice just to be able to shoot and not have to worry about it.
0: Yeah, that is the big advantage with uh, the Neopan Cross is that it doesn't suffer from reciprocity failure, which makes figuring out pinhole times a heck of a lot easier. Um, yeah, and and that is still readily available. That that because ha- I struggle to keep up with what Fuji have and haven't discontinued, but um, at cross one hundred is still available.
2: Yeah, you can um, you can order it. Yeah, I, I get mine through. I order it through B and H. Five pack is, um, five pack of 120 is twenty two ninety five. I think. That's not bad, actually.
0: Oh,
1: that's pretty it? good. Uh, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, it's cheaper to shoot that than stupid 35 millimeter <laughs> <laughs> i was okay, wondering well,
1: when we were gonna get on to the 35 millimeter
0: <laughs> yeah i think okay cory now listen we've spoken in the past about your um inherent dislike of 35 millimeter last time we were talking about the fact that you'd recently picked up a uh lomo lca which you would not fallen in love with had you um so why don't you tell us what's been going on with you and your continued <laughs> dislike of 35 millimeter
2: I don't know what it is I keep you know like I yeah I had that Lomo and um I sold that and I cut a little a little span of time went by and I was like okay because I, I the um, what was it last week's episode or the week before where Rachel you're or you're talking about uh aid and getting the little, the little Minox and aid's got like a little walk around point shoot now you know yeah
1: he's got the little uh yeah Minox 35 Minox
2: yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was at the same it was, it's 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 kind of funny because, like, at the same time, like, just a, a week or so, before, week or two before that, I was kind of like, I was like, I said the same thing to I was like, okay, I, I can't find a medium format camera. I'm tired of doing zone focusing with like the holgers and stuff. I want something that I can, like, you know, have a little bit more control over. And so there aren't really any medium format cameras that are, you know, point and shoot, carrying around cameras. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna try this again. So I ordered uh, an Olympus XA, um, and it's it's a it's a fun little camera, but I just, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, I'm not, I don't think I'm that kind of photographer. I don't think I'm a 35 millimeter I point and shoot. what does that even mean? Snapshot. What does that even you know? mean? I don't know. It just doesn't really work for me. I don't, I mean, you know, what do you, I mean, it just, I don't know. It's weird.
1: I've been looking for a little XA for ages, actually. So Corey, if you're not using it, <laughs> there may be a deal you, to be had.
2: <laughs> sure. I, I'll include a brick of Kent mirror a brick of film too i just bought a whole brick of film with it you know
1: oh wow
2: um i don't know graham i guess it's maybe just because i mean this is gonna this is probably gonna ruffle some feathers but (laughs) anything that i anything that i I, use that i would be using my the little 35 millimeter camera for my kids do you know that kind of stuff i use my phone I, i have my iphone with me and i normally just use that we we did
1: talk been. about a bit of street photography, didn't we? And and I suppose that's kind of where those small cameras can come into their own. You know, it, it gives you sure. that. I think you know, Graham, you said once. I think you you had your Minox thirty five. I think all three of us have got one actually, and you you had it in like just your shorts or pants you know pocket and didn't even realize it was in there you know um and that because they are so small and, and pocketable you are able to take them out and they kind of work for that uh kind of that genre of photography more i guess but maybe if Corey, if that's not for you maybe if that's not what you really focus on then maybe that's why it's not working as a camera
2: yeah i think so because i, I really feel like i'm more of a uh I don't know, I guess a conceptual photographer, you know, mm. uh, I kind of like think, I don't know, I just, I I kind of like think about things a little bit more and, yeah. then just, and, a, and so it just doesn't do it. What you're basically saying
0: is that 35 millimeter photographers just don't really think they're just kind of... <laughs> no, 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 Is that what no, you're saying, no, no. Corey? Well, I... That's right, uh, like,
2: pinhole okay, canon. Street photography. <laughs> street photography. Okay, so let's talk about street photography. Street photography for me is non-existent where I live at. I mean, it's just, I'm just really rural and I mean, like, the places like Rachel was saying where these little cameras work good, where you can set the zone focus or, you know, like like aid who has a long, you know, he rides a train to and from work in and out of London. Right. You know, he needs something that he can carry and use that kind of stuff for. Whereas I'm not in that situation. If I'm driving along and I see something i don't take a picture of, I have to stop. So if I'm going to stop and get out of my car and do it, I'm going to have my pin on camera with me, my tripod. And I'm just going to go ahead and take a regular picture of it. You know what I mean? Doing it with thirty-five millimeter and going, oh, that would be a really cool. Pinhole camera, pinhole picture. You know, well, most of the time when I'm in that situation, I have my pinhole camera in my pocket. So why not just go ahead and use my pinhole camera instead of doing it with the thirty-five millimeter? You know what I mean? I think that I think that's where the bridge is for me, where I I, I kind of have an option of pulling out, you know, the XA or using my pinhole camera. You know, so I mean, like, what am I going to do? I'm going I'm going to use my pinhole camera because mm-hmm. it's just I'm so much more comfortable with it. You know? Yeah, yeah
0: I I can understand that. Because to be honest, I suppose in a lot of ways that is just an extension of how I feel about choosing between shooting digital and shooting film. It's like, well, if I'm going to shoot it, I may as well shoot film because yeah, I could shoot digital, but this is a, this is my preferred medium. So that's what I'm going to do because I'm already, you know, um, I suppose it it does make sense. Um,
2: uh, And I I have kids too. So like, you know, I, I know the, the whole talk about, you know, you know, if you're shooting digital, you know, and you get home and you have 400 pictures, what are you going to do? You know, you should probably be shooting film. And you, I just, you know, like with my kids, I'm always taking pictures. I'm taking a picture here. And I'm taking the picture there. So, you know, I have a little Ricoh Ricoh GR, the little the digital camera mm-hmm. with the. It's, I mean, it's a great little camera, man. I mean, it has 28 fixed, 28 millimeter fixed lens. It's you know, 2.8. Um, and I'll, I'll use that, you know, when I'm taking pictures of my kids mm-hmm. for 35 snapshot kind of stuff, because with 35 millimeter snapshot stuff, if I do shoot a whole roll of my kids and I get it and I put the time in to get it developed and I get it to where I, I'm making a contact sheet or I'm scanning it and looking at it and I'm like, okay, well they're moving on this one. This is what, you know what I mean? It's kind of like <laughs> I'm burning through rolls, you know what I mean? Whereas with my digital camera, I can just take the pictures you know go up and just get them printed at the local drugstore and like have them there for my wife you know what I mean like she wants pictures of the kids she doesn't want to wait for me to go and develop film and train it off and you know and then a week later here's a picture you know she's <laughs> so it just I don't know I guess it's just I'm just not jiving with it if I was in a different situation it probably be completely different but
1: yeah it's the right tool for the right job in the yeah. right circumstances isn't it yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah, well- yeah sure
0: I feel like you've caught us up on what you've been up to since uh, Christmas, Corey. And I have, we asked at the beginning of the show, uh, where has Aid gone? How dare he abandon us? Aid, whilst, whilst recording, because insult to injury, Aid has sent me a picture of a swimming pool as your blue skies. Um, you know, so. <laughs> so
1: we? Uh, Hang on. I've got to see if I've got this so
0: as well. Whatever. Um, we're going to take a break and, um, curse aid loudly I'll do it offline so that it doesn't have to be bleeped out on here and we'll be right back Uh, Rach you've had some guests up in Liverpool this week what have you been up to
1: yeah, I uh, had the, the pleasure of meeting Angela, who is at This Is Jella on Instagram, and her husband, Kelvin. They came over all the way from Toronto to the UK, and I said to them, We've been chatting online, and I said, Well, you know, if you're over in the UK, it's not just all about London. It'd be nice if you were able to, you know, take in a few other places as well. And I believe they went to Bath and a few other places, and they came up to Liverpool for the day. So, it was great. We actually had a whole day together, went on a bit of a city photo walk, a bit of an urban photo walk, which was lovely. Uh, got to show them the sights of the, of the city and uh, we got to shoot with lots of lovely analogue cameras. There was a, a, a rather large collection of cameras, shall we say. <laughs> Um, the uh, the f- first moment that I met them we sat down and it was like right okay wh- which cameras have we got um got them all out on the onto the table and it was groaning under the weight of the cameras shall we say um but uh, but what was really lovely was uh, the minute I met them in the in the train station uh, I turned around and realized that they'd got this lovely big goodie bag with them for me which is really sweet oh. so um I know. So I got I got some lovely treats this week. So I had um, they they put in. Shall I shall I talk you through my goodie bag? I'll, I'll tell you what I've got. God. So um, I got four rolls of film. Can you hear them here. Okay, there what kind go.
0: of film is it? How jealous right, do I I'm, need to be?
1: I'm, o- I'm opening them up now. Hold on. They're all 35 mil, so not for Corey. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Um I have um I have a Fuji uh, Fuji Colour Superior 200 because obviously that one's uh, discontinued now and they know that I like shoot with that. So uh, so they got me another roll of that which is very sweet. Um uh so I've got a couple of yeah sorry a couple of rolls of that and what was the other two? Hold on. An unboxing unboxing <laughs> film on <laughs> on the podcast. Um, I also have a 400 ISO Centuria, um, which is a 36-roll f- uh, film for colour prints. That's exciting. And last but not least, let me get the last one out. Okay. This one, oh, it's my Neopan.
3: Yay. Oh, awesome. um,
1: yeah, so uh, my Fujifilm uh, Neopan SS, and that's uh, a thirty-six shot roll as well. So very excited to uh, to get using those. So what's so good had- the Neopan? Uh, the Neopan is. Oh, hang on. Oh, let me see. It's one hundred.
0: Nice. I do yeah. like Neopan. We were talking about the Acros before the break, and I really do like the tones of Neopan. they just there's something about the very creamy whites, and yeah, it's a lovely film.
1: Very very excited to use those. Um, so I had my four rolls of film. I also had a um, a bag of Maynard's fuzzy peach sweeties, which is lovely, and mm-hmm. a bag of OMGs. Now, Corey, do you have OMGs where you are? Do you know what I mean? <sighs>
2: No, I don't know what OMGs are.
1: Okay, they are incredible. You need to search for them. They're kind of like biscuity, pretzelly, chocolatey, caramel, or some like, bites of lovely magicalness.
0: Okay. So
1: I'm a bit obsessed. Oh, <laughs> um, awesome. I blasted through those in about, <laughs> in about 20 seconds.
0: Seriously. Gone.
1: <laughs> God. <laughs> so I, had to, I had to actually send Angela a message and say, I'm really sorry I've eaten them all. Can you make sure you bring over a whole stash next time you're back? <laughs> So, uh, so I've got my order in and I would suggest you all do the same. They were awesome. Okay. Um, and uh, I also had um, was lucky enough to uh, get a copy of De Pinsel, which is Angela's zine. So she, she made a, a really beautiful um, zine, uh, zine. Uh, which is scenes from Havana, so it's um, from Cuba, and she actually brought the camera with her on the photo walk that we did. That she shot it all on, so that was really nice. So I got to see the camera as well as the uh, the images that it produced. So, uh, so she's left me with a copy of that, which is lovely. Yes, lovely. Um, I,
0: I saw a few I, of the pictures. Well, I, saw, I saw a few of the pictures that the, they were sharing on Instagram. It amazed <laughs> me how much stuff they brought with them in the way of cameras. <laughs> Their luggage must have weighed a ton and yet they still found room to bring you a goodie bag
1: i know it was amazing so uh, i was i was very very pleased about that um we got to do a nice little trip round, and actually we also did a little field report so you can hear about it a little bit more now do you want to tell us a little bit about um how you guys first got into analog shooting
4: Um, Maybe I'll let my husband do first because he had a little bit shorter history than I do.
3: Yeah, I started about um, eight or nine years ago. It started with an old camera bag that my uh, uncle gave to me which contained a Nikon F80 if I remember correctly, Uh, and then that just set me off on a wild goose chase of collecting cameras and uh, using them once in a while. No, all the time actually.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So Anja, how about yourself? Um, Well, I was born in the late 80s, so I pretty much grew up with for the most part so my dad used to work in the Middle East so as a family thing we're required to have photos to send over to him just to see how his little little girl is growing up kind of thing Um, but I started taking photos as a hobby maybe in 2004 Um, that's when I moved to Canada so that time something to do more more of a personal thing just to remember how I'm kind of like growing up as a person so things change environment and stuff like that um, but I didn't get back into film photography until around the same time as he is like 2008 um, or 2007 actually um, there was a there's a work- the university that I attended to and then I signed up and kind of spiraled downhill from there I guess. <laughs> um, so I started with like a, like a small camera and borrowed it and it ended up buying and then I bought another one and then yeah. So- <laughs> And I went from there,
1: <laughs> and here we are today. So, um, so tell us a little bit about. Obviously, you, you live in Toronto, yes. um, But you've come over over to the UK. Uh, so, is it for uh, pleasure,
4: business? How come you guys are here, and where have you been so far? Um, so, as part. Uh, um traveling is pretty much our second Mm, second hobby second Second most expensive hobby after Mm -hmm. photography (laughs) after film (laughs) yeah (laughs) just for sure um just because like we have a very um demanding work so we find pleasure and um leisure in visiting other places and yeah it kind of works hand in hand with Mm -hmm. with photography and like you know also learning new things about places that we visit so this is our third city since we got married. Yes. Wow,
3: third like a, report, Yeah.
4: If you count, yeah, if you count the small, small the U.S. states, which is obviously our neighbor. Um, but yeah, so that's why. And this year, just because it's a little bit hectic, um, this is our main one, just one big trip this year. So we decided we go to London. In Liverpool in Bath <laughs> to come and see me hooray
1: you <laughs> see um, so uh, I noticed that you've got some of the new film for Arnie as well yes hiking stuff so
4: tell us a little bit about the cameras you've brought with you oh okay um, so oh, I started looking at my camera like oh it's actually a, a sound recording <laughs> not a video on, but what I have with me is um, a Konica Hexer AF Um, This is pretty much like a cult camera to say the least. Um, It's a 35mm f2 um, camera fixed lens It only goes up to 400 um, in terms of the shutter speed, but in terms of um, travel photography uh, Which I normally do with this camera it actually fits well with um, what I need so so that's that and, and we had a small incident today <laughs> I actually wore another film camera which is the Horizon Compact and when I was about to show Rachel um, how it works I advanced the shutter and the lens got stuck <laughs> so I can't take panoramic pictures today which is kind of sad but we'll make, we'll make do with the other camera that I have so.
1: I should probably just interject here and say they have variously been going around the city banging it against different walls and <laughs> tables and things
4: trying to get the thing to work we'll, so. we'll, we'll try not to ruin like, the heritage portion of the vehicle, but, like,
1: I've been most impressed that that is your approach to fixing cameras it's very similar to dropping, mine so <laughs>
4: dropping if there was a stairs I would have dropped it off as well but we might get into trouble with that <laughs> And yourself. <laughs> okay. As
3: for me, my film camera for today is a uh, Nikon FM2. Uh, I brought a twenty millimeter two point eight and a fifty mil one point four lens with it. Uh, this one, uh, I really like this camera. It's uh, I we we do have quite a number of cameras in our collection, but every time I need a camera that. Just works, no question. Like point at something, just takes a photo. I just end up reaching up for for this camera. Yeah, I was
4: supposed to do that too, but uh, and, no. and oh, a fun story.
3: I, I uh, a week or so before our uh, trip here to London, I actually had three cameras in my bag. A uh, Pentax MX. <laughs> The this uh, Nikon FM2 and a Nikon F3 oh. now the F3 <laughs> I ran a test roll through it just before we went here just to make sure everything works and there was like two blank frames and I was devastated because I, I really like the finder of that camera but so I just ended up reaching up for a tried and, tried and true camera Yep. FM2 the
4: rule of that is that the lesson for that is don't be like me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you fickle, uh,
1: Are you fickle Do you...
4: I don't know. Like I don't know what j- I think. Because like I knew that Kelvin might bring an Nikon SLR with him, so I decided not to. But I thought it was a great opportunity to like um, mean in England, like just take a lot of um, panoramic photos which is I find that might might be a little bit unusual in terms of like travel photography so that's just me being stubborn um, but um, if I go like if I just follow like what's more rational I guess I would have brought my FM2 as well and then just smack a 28 on it but I thought like oh a wide lens would be nice a panorama would be nice
1: yeah <laughs> yeah especially when you're traveling sometimes it is good to have that wider view of, of the places that you've yes. been to so um, so yeah it's a real shame that that stopped working today but such
4: is such is life when you live with analogue photography yeah, heads. that's true um, we'll try smacking you in some other corners here before before the end of the day we'll see what happens
1: <laughs> we might come back and do an, uh, an update report on what parts of the camera have fallen off by that point <laughs> okay guys we're going to go for now but uh, that's great Thank very That's about our ability. College. So we've done a little bit of a uh, no a, quizzes. a walk round. No a, quizzes no, quiz. no quizzes. What? <laughs> okay. Uh, so we've already done a little bit of a walk round. Um Angela's decided that she doesn't want to do a quiz, Graham. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, don't, hey, I can't say. Hey, I got three out of five on that quiz last time. I was answering a question, so I was like yes, yes. Well <laughs> it's much better than we could obviously than Aid and I managed. So I'm very
1: impressed. Oh uh, so I'm very impressed with that. So um, so yeah, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how you're getting on with the Cheap Shots Challenge.
4: Um, it's just me who's joining, um, but my husband helped out with finding the cameras. Like the first one, I think um, Rain mentioned very briefly in one of the episodes where So Kelvin got a couple of like compacts when he told me he's going to be late home from work. <laughs> so there's like two um compacts. The one is a Ricoh, another one is a Canon Sure Shot. So I tried a Sure Shot one and it didn't work for me. I don't know what happened there. It started it took a couple of photos and then it started rewinding by itself. I'm not sure why. I I think I used a DX film, but I'm not sure what happened. So that's that's a no-go. So I ended up like searching on QGG, which is a Canadian um, online classified ads. So I found this camera. And then, short sure thing, um, Kelvin said, oh, that's the same unit that I'm looking for. Perfect. I'm going to pick it up for you. Yeah,
3: funny story. So, I actually saw that uh, ad pop up in my feed a few weeks before. But I was like, oh, another camera. If I ask Karen she'll probably say not to take it. But... <laughs> I was happy that she brought it up because I, was so, like, oh, yeah, uh, I wanted to buy that one too.
4: So you both had your eye it. on the same yeah. camera, basically. Yes. Pretty, much, Pretty much, by chance. He didn't, men- didn't mention that yeah. to me at the beginning. Uh-huh. So it's a Pentax um, SPO 120 1.2. SW. Um, based from Kelvin's research, because that's why he was eyeing on it. Um, I think it's one of it won like a best camera design back in two thousand
3: and one. Two thousand, yeah.
4: For something. Like, it looks really tiny for uh, like a modern compact. Like how much did you manage to land it for then? Uh, Twenty bucks. Twenty, 20
3: Canadian. So that'll be like
4: how many pounds?
3: Thirteen or fourteen pounds.
4: Wow, that's brilliant. Well done. Yeah. Very. So the lens was really good. I did. I did run the same um, roll that failed on the other camera. So I'm pretty sure it's not the the film cartridge so it worked perfectly um we did notice um some scratches on the film but there are a couple of factors i don't want to rule it out rule it out as just the camera's fault so um we'll see if i run another um roll of film in there but i have a couple of like macro shots in there it's it's a zoom camera so i was able to zoom in all the way to 120 so hopefully that kind of works although the framing was kind of off considering that it was a it's a compact zoo so we'll see. Hope to kick Graves' ass in this <laughs> We'll see.
1: <laughs> Fantastic!
4: I think we're all aiming for
1: that because is a very competitive guy, isn't he? Um, so, actually, let's ta- let's talk a little bit about your zine that you've been busy uh, putting together, actually. Yeah.
4: Actually, so for the beginning of the year. Um, I have decided to make a small project a few years back I had my first show um, like an exhibit and I wanted to do something that involves printing my photos Um, but this time around because of the cost and the logistics of having another exhibit I'm like I don't have time for that (laughs) so I decided to uh, make a zine instead so um, I named the zine after uh, my website Um, and the first volume of that I had maybe around a very limited issue run uh, and that features a lot of my photos that we I took not we <laughs> I took um, in Cuba last October so I have very selected ones and um, the way the team works is that it's not just an actual an actual travel photo but uh, it's basically how I saw the city because um, I grew up in the Philippines before moving to Canada and um, in the Philippines there's a lot of like Spanish influence um, architecture and history and stuff so when we went to Havana uh, for a few days um, I noticed the similarities in like terms of culture, architecture, um, partially about food as well but um, so I kind of gathered the photos that I think that I know I was in the mindset that oh this looks similar to what I've seen in the past or something that I grew up with so that's how the first volume kind of came out to be
1: fantastic <laughs> cool. okay well we'll leave it there for our part 2 of our interview and we'll see if we have another part at the end <laughs> <Of> the <laughs> that's good. thanks very much okay so hopefully it won't be too, uh, too loud with the wind we'll uh, keep close to it um, so, so we've come to the end of the day. Yes, it's so exciting. We survived. We survived. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, so, guys, I'll just ask you and Tim, how did you find today? Oh, it's amazing. I think we're uh, as of what I mentioned earlier. We we really lucked out with the weather. We have like umbrellas with us, jackets, cardigans, and all. Um, but it's a bright, sunny day here in Liverpool, so it's great. Welcome to summer in the UK, right? <laughs> <laughs> Kelvin, how are you? And
3: uh, I just find with Liverpool, the light is amazing. Anywhere you can see the sun, like you're going to see something worth taking a photo of. The way the, oh. the shadows and light interact along with the... The old and the new façade of uh, the structures here is just amazing.
1: So, um, some favourite tips from today where, where we've been and uh, favourite places, things that you've enjoyed shooting?
4: Um, I actually enjoyed, because um, we're sitting right in front of the um, Lime Street station, I actually enjoyed um, the staircase going to St. George Place, that's one, it's something that I really like. Um, the, library. Was, the library.
3: The library, The yeah. library was really cool.
4: Like that it's a combination of an old and something new just great really good use of space
3: mm-hmm. for me the the cathedral the Which... the larger <laughs> one it's like the... it blew my mind how how big it is when we actually went in and uh, the harbor was really nice. Harbor was really nice it's a, too. it's a it's a nice cap off to the end of the day. That's good.
1: Yes. Um. And have you shot all of your film and all of your uh, rolls? I actually
4: have some leftovers. I think I shot maybe three or four frames. But the one I'm excited about is actually my roll of Ferrania P30, which I brought one roll just to test it out. I think it's a good today. Shooting it today is actually really great. So I'm looking forward to the results for that one. Thanks so much
1: for coming to see us today in Liverpool, guys. Uh, it's you. been lovely to have you right here. Thank
4: you. Yes. Thanks for having us. Thank
3: you for having us. Bye. And we're going to come back. We're going to come back. For Hang sure. on. Let's do that one again. We're going to come back for sure. We love the city.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much, guys.
3: Thanks. Bye. Bye.
0: Oh, that sounds like you had an awesome time up there. I am very jealous and you really are making Liverpool sound like it's a destination I am I'm going to have to get my lady backside so up to visit. Um, Corey, we'll get you, you here one to, day. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to get over the ocean at some point to come visit us, Corey?
2: Yes, I am, actually. Um, hopefully soon my sister takes a lot of trips and she goes to uh, Ireland, actually. And,
1: um, oh, you can get a boat from there to us
2: yeah that's what she was, she was she's like when i go i you know she goes for like 10 or 12 days so i was like well i'm sure i could set it up to have a day and a night and a day i'm sure are there lots of fun cool little places to stay around you guys like oh, i yeah. guess like kind of like bed and yeah, breakfast it's my house. Is... <laughs> yeah okay that's fine yeah, I'm, come I'm stay my house. Free, man. Man.
0: open invitation come stay in my house sweet
1: you'll come and do the sunny 16 tour
2: i'd love yeah, to i want to come, come, come so bad
1: You'll be knocking on AIDS door and you'll be thinking, hang on a minute, I must have missed that podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Everyone's invited to AIDS House. Um, so, Rach, as well as your goodie bag, you got something else this week as well, which I can't, I, I can't believe you're getting all these I did. goodies.
1: I got I got another freebie, another lovely uh, goodie, uh, which came through the post um, very excitingly, um, marked from the Netherlands, which was from Killiam, who, who I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he's. Um, very, very generously sent me a copy of the issue number one, Crossroads, of the Let's Explore magazine. So uh, so that is absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful magazine. It's, it basically says at the bottom, ideas, people, places, and projects, all sorts of lovely images, lots of stories. He basically got in touch and said, I see that you like analogue photography and I see that you like storytelling. So I have the perfect gift for you. And I thought, wow, that's lovely. So, uh, so yeah, so he, he sent me over a nice little handwritten note and uh, a copy of Lex Explore magazine. And um, I'm absolutely thrilled with that. So it's going to keep me going. It's quite a hefty, uh, quite a hefty magazine. I think we've got about 180 pages in it.
3: Wow. Wow!
1: Seconds, let me see. Hundred. 100 uh 174 i think it is actually pretty good that so uh it is it is definitely value for money that i would uh, recommend it looks beautiful so looking forward to reading that through
0: what sort of stuff is there in it what sort of articles are there it? It,
1: it's it's literally everything it's it's um stories. (laughs) literally everything it is that's
0: (laughs) That's a lot that is a lot if the fact it's crammed it into 174 pages it's quite impressive
1: Okay. Amazing. Tell you what, I will read you a little bit of the editor's letter. So he was t- basically Killian's just talking about how uh, this issue is packed with a selection of astonishing stories about raw emotions, happiness, pain, struggle, chance, and experimentation. So pretty much everything, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, pretty much everything. Yeah.
1: The contributors stood at crossroads themselves and put their heart and soul into something they believe in, often not knowing what the future would hold. They trusted their instincts and approached their quests with an open heart, not judging but experiencing, treasuring every single moment. There you go. Sounds um, awesome. Where can people yeah.
0: find out? Do, do you have um, an email address or a website that people can find out more about the Let's Explore Magazine? off I, um, it's, uh,
1: I follow Killian on Instagram. So one second, and I will find it for you now. If you guys want to have a little chat whilst I find that, we will come back to you.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll make some whole music. I found it. Still
1: recording. <laughs> yeah um so it's it's at let's explore mag m-a-g at the end there we go and that that's his instagram uh feed so if you go to that it'll take you to um let's explore com. there you go awesome um, so yes so that, that was my other um, little bit of uh, news about a freebie that I got this week which is lovely I'm very excited to to look into that uh, and read over that and the, my other bit of news was just that I've got a couple of projects coming up that I'm excited for so one's this week and one's next week so the one this week is for Liverpool Girl Geeks so I'm going to be uh, basically delivering a workshop, I'm taking Rosie along, my caravan obscura obviously, uh, taking her taking her along to um, meet a, a bunch of teenagers who are doing a programme through the Liverpool Girl Geeks called Tech for Teens, which is exciting. Um, going to be teaching them, obviously, all about bits of analogue photography and how it can be combined sometimes with digital. For example, Abe, who um, Fatigue, who's been putting together the Film Lab app, um, hoping to be able to show them that and how that might work with the light box and obviously um, using the negatives and then how they might look at perhaps designing apps that will help... Uh, other people um, in future, so that kind of thing. I'll also be doing some cyanotypes and some pinhole viewers, and teaching them how to build those and and what have you. So that's all very exciting. And the second project is going to be part of the summer reading challenge at Birkenhead Library. So I'll be delivering a pinhole to Pinterest workshop for that. So we're uh, going right the way through, um, teaching them actually how to build a pinhole camera, um, that kind of thing, Corey. So you'll be happy to hear that. Um yeah. And uh, all the way through to processing the, their own very first roll of film, um, shooting in pairs on a range of old analog cameras that I'll take along and, uh, and basically doing all sorts of fun, creative-y kind of craft stuff. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to those uh, that are coming up
0: that sounds very cool I want to ask you actually Rach because obviously with these things you're having to um, explain things to people clearly and concisely so they can then take part and do them and mm-hmm. so I thought this seems like a perfect thing to talk about on the podcast so you can explain things clearly and concisely because I really want to have a go at doing cyanotypes at some point um, Me too. I keep seeing people there, and Corey does too neither of us have tried doing this before <laughs> And the results always look really intriguing. But you keep telling me it's super easy, uh, yeah. but I haven't got the first clue where to start. So, could you give us a real dumb dumbs guide for me and Corey and anybody else who's interested in how to do cyanotypes, what we need, and you know just just everything just tell us everything about because you're the i think you're what the UK expert on cyanotypes we discussed before so <laughs>
1: Oh, graham please don't say things like this uh, <laughs> it really puts the pressure on but yeah fine okay i will i will give you a a very brief uh, breakdown of cyanotypes so um One of the first uh, recipes that was put together was by a gentleman called Sir John Herschel uh, in 1842. And cyanotyping is basically one of the very early photographic processes, as you might expect, with it being from 1842. Um, Now, what you do is you have pretty much it's very simple you have two solutions um one which is potassium ferric cyanide and the other which is ferric ammonium citrate okay so those two are, as raw chemicals are mixed with water um they become solution a and solution b they literally are called solution a and solution b there you go um you mix the two p- parts together a and b in equal parts so a one to one ratio and that creates your cyanotype solution okay you with me so far
0: sure um, <laughs> there was a I'll pause
1: g- there okay i'll, I'll go over it again
0: can you see, see, maybe, yeah just go one more time for the okay, slow kids
1: for the ones <laughs> for the cheap seats okay yes. so <clears throat> so cyanotypes are basically made up of two chemical solutions so you have one which is potassium ferric cyanide uh-huh. and that another sounds one dangerous
0: Rachel. because yes. of the word cyanide in it yes.
1: Yes, and the other one, which is ferric ammonium citrate. Okay, so you that mix the two tasty together.
0: because the word "citrus" yeah. in it.
1: No, no, you don't want to drink it. You oh, don't okay. want to eat it. Um, it's green, so yeah. Um, you also don't want to a- eat that. Um, you I basically mix the two. Once. Oh gosh, you two are like terrible children.
2: I'm oh. fine. I'm. I got. You. I, was, I had a question coming up actually. Okay.
1: All right, Corey. Well, hold on to that question for me.
2: <clears> so, okay.
1: You mix the two together at a one to one ratio, and that becomes your cyanotype solution. Once you've got your solution. You coat it onto your paper or fabric or um, whatever material you want it to be on. Usually, the ones that are more naturally absorbent are the best ones um, because it'll actually take in the solution. Um, so you coat it onto that um, using, you know, a, a brush, paintbrush, or whatever you want to use. I wouldn't suggest your fingers because, as Graham mentioned, it has cyanide in it, hence it being called a cyanotype, and hence also it being blue. Because uh, obviously mm. with this magenta and yellow and and um, and cyan, so uh, the reason that it's called a cyanotype is partly because of those, um, with it having a small element of cyanide in it. Um, so you mix the two together, you've coated it onto your paper or your fabric or what have you, and then you would lay objects on top of it if you lay objects on top of it in the same way as you can in the dark room with objects on top of, um, photographic paper, um, you then expose it to light and you would create what you call as a, a photogram. So it's the outline of the objects that you have, um, lay over the top of it. Um, I quite like using objects because the way that I teach is I get, you know, the kids or whoever to go out and actually find something to put on it, which is quite nice. It's a way of getting them to interact with their environment as well. Um, but the other way of doing it is literally to have a, um, a transparency, a negative, which you can then put on top of your um, coated piece of paper. Um, and then you expose it to UV light, such as the sun, obviously, or a UV lamp. Um, once it's exposed, you then fix it, by which all you have to do is put it into water. And that basically washes off everything else that hasn't been exposed. It will change the colour. Um, because you'll have started off with a sort of like yellowy green limey kind of greeny yellow color. It'll have gone all the way through various different uh, colors as it's been exposing. Um, once you get to a kind of like brownish kind of color then then you might want to fix it by which you wash it in water um, and then you end up with a blue and white print and that's your cyanotype so there you go.. Mm
0: that does seem very simple um you had a question first Corey. you, you yes, go
1: yes go on what was
2: your question you at the back so what kind of paper are you using
1: so i tend to use um a watercolor paper um because gotcha. it it's that little bit thicker and it gives it um it, that much more absorbency if you have something that's that's too shiny or too you know if you're using like a gloss paper or something like that it's just not going to um, absorb into the paper, into the fibers
4: right.
1: enough, um, and you'll end up when you when you come to fix it because obviously you're washing it in water. It will just wash off the chemical, the whole of the chemical. It won't have had time to actually um, absorb into the paper to sort of dye it effectively. Um, gotcha. So you won't end up with a print really as as good as as clear a print.
2: Mm-hmm. Question question two. Mm-hmm. Do are you do you ever make uh like the digital negatives like a bigger picture i don't know how does that work yes because i've seen some people doing it and they're like 11 by 14 you know and mm -hmm. it looks like
1: yeah so you you can create your digital negatives as um obviously as big as you can print them basically so um if you've got a, a printer that will take some acetate or something you basically would just create it as a digital negative print it out onto that as a transparency um as as a negative um, which will then when you expose it on top of the cyanotype will then give you a blue and white positive and vice versa so if you wanted it to be a right. blue negative you would obviously print it out as a, a positive on the transparency lay that over the top and then expose it to UV light so it works in do, the you, same way. Mm-hmm.
2: do you use um like a traditional printing frame like a contact printing frame
1: do you know um i i don't what do you use yeah so i i do actually have um a few of the original ones um where you it's basically made of wood with a piece of glass in and you'd put it underneath you know like your contact frame uh, in the Mm -hmm. same way um and then you'd have your piece of um sort of like metal levers that you would um sort of move across that will hold it in place nice and right And still, um, and then you put that out in the sun or what have you. I have got a few of those, but because obviously when I'm teaching kids or, you know, I'm teaching bigger groups of people, um, I don't want them to get broken or, that you know, they get a lot of wear and tear and what have you. So, um, so I tend to use um, plastic folders um literally the ones that you can get from you know stationery or what have you um and clips or pegs or what have you to hold it in place or you can get um empty uh empty photo frames anything like that really um and you literally coat any paper if you put that in with your objects underneath it obviously uh, sorry objects on top of the paper but underneath the glass and then fit fit the uh, the back to the frame that'll hold it in nice and nice and still so yeah <laughs>
0: I've got some questions. Shut up, Corey. It's my turn now. Um, (laughs) I know you you have questions, (laughs) (laughs) Graham. I've got so (laughs) many questions. Right. So you mix what? um, When you're doing the coating and and the mixing and all that, does that have to be done in the dark room under a red light, green light, um, or can you do it out in subdued light?
1: Okay. So when you're actually doing the the mixing and the coating, um, because it is a chemical that reacts with UV light, you want to make sure that you're not standing in uv light Uh, it doesn't have to be done in a dark room it doesn't have to be done under a red light but i would say you want to do it in a room with the curtains drawn you know um and without other lots of other light on i mean like a bulb is fine um but yeah basically you want to do it in kind of just the the normal um sort of room in your house that would be fine as long as you've not got direct sunlight coming in on top of it does that make sense
0: yeah that makes sense Um, okay. the next, oh, welcome back Cory. Um the next question <laughs> sorry. Um next question I have is you're coating it. Do you have to um use them whilst the um stuff is still wet, or can you let it dry and then expose them or do they have to be dry? Yeah, okay. that's
2: right.
1: Yes, so good question. Um, I have actually done it both ways. Um, They do give you quite a different, um, like a final look. So sometimes you might get a bit more of a vivid blue. Um, Sometimes it might be a little bit more of a a sort of lighter baby blue. Um, I find if you're doing it when it's uh, it's still wet, um, that tends to be a lighter blue. in in terms of how it's finished. Um, If you've uh, coated it and left it to dry, um, perhaps overnight, so you'll need to leave it to dry in the dark. You know, or somewhere with with subdued light. So I'd just say you coat it. You'd leave it overnight, so it'll be dark anyway. is usually what I do. Yeah. Uh, and then when I get up in the morning, and they're they're done, ready. Put them into like a dark bag or into something that's you know light tight, just to keep them out of out of the sun until you're ready to use them. And then that tends to be a bit more of a vivid blue when you actually then put the objects on top and and make the exposure.
0: Cool. That's that's um good useful um. Thing with that because it'd be nice to make up a few and, and go out and have a go with it um
2: yeah. so there... i got a question oh okay go on in. <laughs> how do you so like okay like so you put it together uh mm-hmm. you code to paper you make your exposure so fixing it you just rinse it off with water that's all you have to do that's right yep yeah, absolutely cool. can mm-hmm. we can you once you rinse it with water can we drink that water <laughs> <laughs> you can
1: <laughs> no absolutely not okay. I, would, I would say definitely definitely don't do that i mean oh, uh, right. basically you can. i mean actually when you're rinsing off the water I, I don't like just sort of putting it down the sink to be honest but y- you can uh you can just sort of like put that down the sink but uh i i tend to just sort of put it into like my waste chemical um bottles that i have anyway and take that down to the skip afterwards so yeah um yeah know. but definitely don't drink it no okay <laughs> Just I imagine sure. there's a similar problem I mean, with that
0: as there is with a <clears> fixer of it of it killing off the bacteria in yeah. um yeah. system. So yeah, that I that mean, makes sense
1: the other thing to remember is when you're when you are making cyanotypes especially obviously if you're making mixing your own chemicals and coating it yourself and what have you um because there are places you can buy ready-made sun paper and things like that um but it's very expensive and to be honest i i just prefer doing it myself anyway um that's that's the that's the fun part of it they're getting messy they're developing you know all of that kind of side of things um but uh, one thing to remember is that because it's basically a dye it will stain and it will stain everything so uh, it ain't coming off <laughs> okay. it's definitely definitely not coming off so you don't want to end up with you know small children going home like a smurf you know
3: <laughs> You <laughs> just right. say uh,
1: because yeah it just doesn't it will come off when the skin comes off eventually but it it oh, doesn't works. come off right <laughs> you
3: so flay um, them?
1: Well, you know what i mean um so <laughs> over, over, a few, over a few weeks you know um uh, less of it's on your hands that'll probably come off in about a week but um but yeah generally try don't get it on your skin <laughs> okay. is what i'm trying to say or your clothes or anything
0: okay. yeah i've, I've got i mean i'm guessing that up in liverpool um that most of the things that you're using there to put on the paper because you're a bunch of scallies up there is things <laughs> like hubcaps and stuff like that that have been stolen uh-huh. but are there any particular <laughs> things that you would recommend? They're
1: hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, Go on, sorry, Graham. What? Um
0: Are there any particular things that you'd recommend as being just good um subjects to put on there that would work well with doing cyanotypes?
1: Yeah, so um some of the earliest ones that when they originally discovered this process, um, they they were using things like uh, lace and feathers and things like that. Um, they're really nice and very effective. There's some beautiful. Uh, you can get some beautiful botanical sort of specimens using you know leaves or um, grasses or anything like that. They can look really lovely. Um, anything that has a very clear outline, like a very sort of sharply defined outline, will give you a sharply defined um, uh, edge to your blue and white print Um, so wherever you're blocking out the light obviously if it's got sharply defined edge then that will be the same once you've um taken the object off and washed it um if you've got something that's a bit more 3d um and or and or has a bit of a fuzzier sort of outline um then it will look the same it will also look a bit fuzzier on the actual image you know on the cyanotype once you've actually created it does that make sense Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah so okay. the things that are sort of closer to the the thing that you're exposing onto. Yeah. Um so you were saying before about using it on paper but you could also use it on fabric and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is it something that you could use on a piece of clothing and then wash it or would it all would it just wash out very quickly on a piece of clothing if you've like made a cool t-shirt or something like that with it?
1: Mm-hmm. It shouldn't, I mean, it shouldn't wash out. Basically, it's a dye. So especially on something like fabric, it's not going to, you know, that's the whole point of why you want to protect your clothes when you're doing something like this because you can inadvertently dye all your, your clothes and what have you. Um, so, no, it shouldn't wash out. It should be dyed for good. I suppose the my only concern about that would be that you're wearing something that potentially has cyanide in it very close to your nah. skin. <laughs> so so maybe agesly. not <laughs> um i i take no responsibility for that graham if you decide to go and tie <laughs> all your t-shirts now
0: <laughs> i was thinking my boxer shorts getting out oh of my god boxer shorts. <laughs> we don't want to know when
1: you're wrong? exposing that to the sun yeah yeah afraid.
2: i'm good
0: well
2: there isn't any sun. There's no sun where you guys are at, so you don't have to worry about that, right?
0: That is a good
2: point, actually.
1: That is a good <laughs> I was going to say harsh, harsh but fair.
0: <laughs> Roughly, how long does it take to um, fully expose a cyanotype?
1: Okay, so that really depends on the UV levels. So in the same way as, obviously, you check it for, you know, do you have to wear sun cream or what have you? Obviously, our UV levels fluctuate. Um, depending on the weather. So you might want to check that, obviously, if you were planning to specifically use the sun to make the exposure. Um, Obviously, you can get things like UV lamps and bulbs and things like that. So you can still create cyanotypes inside uh, or at night if you you want to, if you're using the, the bulbs for it. Um, but if you're using the sun on a, let's say, on a very sort of like thick, cloudy day, um, you'd be looking at maybe about 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Um, if it's bright sunshine and it's just literally just right overhead um, and bright sunshine, five minutes. So okay. it literally can be as, as long or short as that. It very much depends on the UV light levels.
0: But it is just really a case of eyeballing it and seeing when yep. the, the paper's gone a sort of browny yes. colour.
1: You can't really overexpose. I mean, yeah, you probably can overexpose it if you left it out for hours and things, hours and hours. But yeah, you are not. it's not going to be a, a major issue if you left it out for 20 minutes as opposed to 10, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so, yeah, you're keeping an eye on um, I'll just go back out and check on it. Oh, yeah, it's kind of got that sort of color. Um, I'll take it inside and wash it, that kind of thing. If you're doing it under a UV lamp, you can usually do them in about five to 10 minutes.
0: Okay, I've got two cool. more questions. Okay. Um, first one is how long will these prints last? I mean, are they once they're done, they'll sort of stand indefinitely. Up to a, really, yeah. they've got good...
1: yeah, pretty pretty much indefinitely. Yeah, I mean, it obviously would depend if you if you had them in direct sunlight. I guess at some point they'll probably will fade, but yeah, generally you're looking at an indefinite period.
0: Yeah. So do you, I assume you have to be pretty thorough with the rinsing off.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, you, Occasionally you can end up with sort of um, little traces of yellow on it. And that basically just means that you haven't completely thoroughly rinsed it. So I'd just say pop it back under the tap and re-rinse it and re-dry it and let it let it dry. Yeah.
0: Okay. And the last question I have is, um, mm-hmm. where's the best place to go if you want to try this to get the chemicals?
4: Come and see me there you go <laughs> just go to your local
0: meth dealer rachel and she will hook you up with whatever chems you need My little caravan yeah. in a walter come and, white style-y.
1: come and do a workshop with little vintage photography there you go i can That's teach you fine. how to do Perfect.
0: it do you have any more questions Corey? uh no oh, that was awesome rachel um if i had an apple to give you teacher then i would definitely do so um oh, you very welcome. In the unlikely event that anybody has any questions after that exhaustive thing from Rachel, then uh, just drop her a line. Um, you can use our <laughs> at sunny 16 podcast email or find Rachel on Instagram because she is the acknowledged UK expert on cyanotypes and can answer any questions. Yeah.
1: Um, Please stop saying things about that. <laughs> it me very nervous.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll take another quick break and then we'll come back and do all the shout outs and emails and other fun stuff. Right, emails, and as always, or not as always, but as quite frequently, I hope you've had some great emails this week. Um, the first one is a quickie from Neil Piper, who was listening to the show a few weeks ago when Ade was talking about uh, the fancy desk thing with all the knobs and the sliders and the things to twiddle and fiddle oh yeah uh,
1: Mm.
0: um, do do you ever look into that Rach because I didn't because it all sounded far too confusing (laughs) Um, Uh,
1: yes yeah I did I did have a look at that actually and it was um it was interesting I think that was the week we had Declan on actually and we were discussing how it's it's actually a physical like Almost like a music desk mixer, because uh, I thought it was an app, but it's a physical thing. Um, so interesting. It's not something I would I would get, I don't think. But what I enjoyed about it was the fact that it it was quite nostalgic for me that like video production uh and when i used to um d- when i was originally learning that it was on old vhs to vhs machines and and it was very similar to that you know you you would do your preview you'd stop you'd pause you you'd preview it a hundred times and then you finally make the edit uh, and it was using those sliders and that you know sort of like turn uh, turntable type part of it as well so it was nostalgic from that side of things and i liked it for that but it's not something i would use i don't think to be honest the post-production side of things digitally is not where i want i like spending my time anywhere i'd much rather be out with shooting you know uh, or in the dark room so um although i know that it's there to kind of like help uh, assist i i don't think i would use it to be honest.
0: Well, Neil has sent me a link to something which uh, really speaks to me in the same way that that board was speaking to you. He sent me mm. to a link to an article on Petapixel where somebody okay. has uh, given a tutorial on how to use a PlayStation controller to control Lightroom, which is <gasps> quite appealing. feeling that That's great. very cool.
3: Just yeah.
0: Because you could just do your Lightroom editing and then flick across the screen and then just blast some alien doofs in the face with your. Oh, that sounds great. Um, does that sound appealing to you, Corey? Do you want to use a PlayStation Control to control Lightroom? No. What's wrong with you? Right, next up, <laughs> we've got an email Thanks, from we've got an email from john money i really like this email um it says uh, rachel aiden and graham uh, your last graham because it irked you in episode 62 i will take <laughs> some solace john from the fact that you called aid aiden um <laughs> so that made me feel better i'm writing from hawaii where i just moved after living in singapore for the past four years all right very nice that sounds quite a lot <laughs> lovelier and warmer than where we are um my question is, there are numerous pics of Queen Elizabeth II, uh, it doesn't say Queen Elizabeth II, but I'm assuming he means the second, not Queen Elizabeth I, shooting a Leica M3, and I was wondering if she, or Buckingham Palace, had ever released photos, The sorry, the photos she takes, so... um I was having a look at this earlier and although I've been completely unable to find any photographs that she has taken that have been released anywhere, um, at least in my quick search, there are actually quite a few photographs of the Queen not just with a Leica M3 um, but with an older Leica I'm afraid I don't know which one it would be because I'm not a Leica aficionado Um, a lovely golden rolly 35, um, even things like a Canon Shot 1 and another f- Canon camera so she's obviously quite a keen photographer when she's out and about at the events but to the best of my knowledge um, she's never shared any of those pictures. Um, he continues also, and I apologise for the incorrect pronunciation um, King Bumibol <laughs> that doesn't sound right at all <laughs> Bumibol, anyway <laughs> the, king, the ex-king of Thailand was reported to be an avid photographer and even had a Leica M6 special edition created for him um, I've seen pics of him with cameras, and again, a quick Google about this gentleman. Um, oh, God, it's full name, <laughs> because, you know, infra penny, infra pound, uh, King Boomibol. Adul um, there's a, a great article on um, todayonline.com which is titled The King of Sacks: Snapshots and Sailing and yet it certainly does seem, it's what it says here, at age 8 he got his first camera, a Coronet Midget, a tiny box camera that weighed only 71 ga- grams and this um, light gadget sparked his lifelong passion for photography for the next 8 decades um, he was seldom seen without a camera hanging around his neck and uh, and it was an essential travel item that he actually used when he was out and about taking photographs of the country whilst he's flying around to help him plan what he was going to do. Um, so, yeah, he was somebody for whom photography was not just an active hobby, but he was actually using it to help him run the country, um, which was great. I had no idea about any of that stuff. Anyway, John continues. Is there any royalty that I am missing uh, to the best of the knowledge of uh, either you guys or our listeners? Um any of you guys know about any royals that have been shooting cameras? I mean, you don't know about royals full stop, do you, Corey? You don't get them where you are.
3: How about?
1: Oh, um, not really off the top of my head. I was wondering if maybe Grace Kelly ended up doing some photography because she was Princess Monaco, I think. Is that right? When Grace she married, Kelly.
0: I thought Grace Kelly was the singing in the rain guy. I, I did too. <laughs> no, well, well, we'll have to look that one up as well. But if any of our listeners... Yeah, Grace
1: Kelly, that's the actress's name. Is it? Yeah. I don't
0: know. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Um... <laughs> then we she became... Hang on, right. right?
1: Grace Patricia Kelly was an American actress who became princess of Monaco after marrying Prince Rainer III. Really? Maybe.
0: I don't yep. believe you. <laughs> I, I believe you. Millions wouldn't. It seems unlikely.
1: Okay, but... <laughs> okay fine, fine. Um, um, but yeah, so I was thinking... That she had done some photography, which is which is my link to royalty. I, th- I think you're just jealous that I came up with somebody and you guys didn't. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, that's always the case. <laughs> I'm always jealous when somebody knows some guy I don't, which means I'm always jealous. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if any of our listeners have any other good um, shout-outs for that, and also if anybody knows of where any, um, either the Queen's or um, the King of Thailand's work has been published, that we could see it, I imagine actually would be fascinating. What, what an insight into the world that they see. Um, that would be great. So please do drop us a line and let us know. And thank you, John, for that um, email. Really interesting one that I had never thought of, and it was great to actually dive into that. Um, next up, uh, we've got another one uh here from neil this is a longer one so um this is talking about uh here we go um the idea of repairing pinholes so we talked i think it was last week wasn't it Rach? about the fact that you've got a pinhole um in your bellows of your camera
1: yeah in my agfa folder yes unfortunately yeah Are, are there some tips in the email
0: Oh, there are. So I'm going to try and read through this because it's quite a long email. So I'm just going to I'm just going to go for it. a so deep breath. Um, Neil says, "Admittedly, I've only needed this repair a few times, so it's not been tested extensively. But I've had success repairing bellows with Loctite. Um, other brands are available. But why settle for a?" inferior products rubber based super glue it is designed to allow a certain amount of flex between the surfaces that you stick together and therefore is great for this type of repair i stretch out the material as much as is safe to do so without damaging it further and then just apply a tiny amount of glue with a cocktail stick once the hole has been repaired a tiny amount of matte black paint applied over the repair makes sure that it is light tight Um, whether or not this is a better way than the nail varnish technique i have no idea i present it as an alternative uh, maybe for the guys who would rather be seen buying man stuff like super glue rather than nail varnish um <laughs> so yeah i think that's a great tip um Very useful. I said I have got some bellows that need repairing, so I will get on to that. Neil's second thought. Regarding the idea mentioned a few times of using a light source over a scanner, such as the Epson V550, which has the top light source as a thin central bar rather than across the entire lid, which is um, the problem that we have. Um, I said the V550, the v 500s which you and I both have, Rach, and I think Mm -hmm. the V600 as well. I have now tried this, firstly using an iPad laid on top of the negatives as a larger light source. Not a great success as the iPad screen I don't think is bright enough to actually get a decent scan, way too much way too much work in post to try and salvage an image. Second issue is that the resolution I was scanning at you actually pick up the individual pixels of the iPad screen within the scan, so no good. Second attempt, and I tried a light box. Problem here is that it was way too large to sit comfortably on the scanner bed, meaning that the film was not being pressed flat. I was trying the idea with 35mm and 120 as at present, I have no need to use the idea to scan anything larger. With large format film, presumably each sheet is flat rather than having the annoying curl that the smaller formats retain. The idea worked better with the lightbox, but the image was massively washed out. Post work could salvage it, but as the whole idea wasn't necessarily for the film formats I'm working on right now, I didn't bother. It is worth mentioning that the lightbox doesn't have pixels, so picking them up in the scan wasn't an issue this time around. The last thing to mention about this is that I am of the understanding that lower end scanners such as these Epsons have a set distance that the negs have to be held at for the scanner to focus. I could be wrong with this, and I know that the higher end scanners can shift focus, but having the neg sitting directly on the glass, to me at least, seemed like a great way to get soft focus imagery. Uh, Anyway, that's some things to think about. Cheers, Neil Piper. Um, thank you very much, Neil. That was great. It's really great that Neil has tried out this technique um, and um, shared his results. Also, I was speaking to Eric, who's at Load Film and Subdued Light on Instagram this week. He has also been trying out this technique um thanks to Malcolm's email, and um, so I was asking him questions about it. So he's been using a lightbox on top of it to scan some large format pictures that he's taken on a recent trip, and um, the key thing that he's doing is he's scanning them as uh, documents rather than as negatives because, as Malcolm alluded to in a previous email, when you're scanning them as negatives, the scanner will default to a narrow strip because it doesn't think it can scan any larger. Whereas if you scan it as a document and then flip it and invert it, then mm. you get the effect. Um, and I got the impression that the results worked reasonably well from Eric. Um, he's going to be sharing some pictures from that uh, hopefully this week. So keep an eye on Eric's um, Instagram feed, like I said, that's at Load Film Subdued Light, uh, to see how those come out. But um, it certainly does sound like the idea has some merit as a as a good. Sort of first step around that um, so worth knowing um, do, you obviously have a scanner Corey mm-hmm. what kind of scanner do you have
2: I have the Epson the V500 oh so you, we're all Oh, what a <laughs> lovely t-
0: so yeah. is that big enough to scan the um, 6x17 legs
2: yeah it does do the that strip, yeah. the strip on top is probably you know I don't know what Twelve inches long, the glass strip on top. You know, yeah, yeah it runs almost the whole lid of yeah. the. Yeah, it runs almost the whole lid of the scanner. So, but I have a. Uh, well, I can't scan anything bigger than six by, six by you know, one twenty medium one twenty film. But I have like this insert that I got that I put in there, that has uh, little plastic screws, and you can adjust the height. So I've like calibrated it so that the scanner uh focuses in the right spot, you know? Yeah. I got I ordered it from a guy who makes them and it's pretty cool, man. It's like a plastic. It's about the size of like maybe eight by ten. And then in the middle that's it's been um there's a slot in the middle where you can put your film in and then you can put a piece of uh glass over top of it. That's the um the anti reflective halos glass so you don't yeah, get the newton, newton ring. You, know you know what I'm talking yeah. about? yeah yeah you don't get those Newtonian rings the Newton rings <laughs> Newton rings so you don't get so you don't get that and I paid like 75 bucks for this thing but it, it works really good man I mean it, you can I, I adjusted it went back and forth and found out where it's the perfect spot to scan it but that doesn't help if you're scanning anything bigger than 120 film
1: that's really cool have you got the link to that Corey that you could send us and we'll put it in the show notes
2: I do have it I will send it That'd to you cool. I yeah, got it at home you. You. on my computer I've looked at those before.
0: They do look like a really good quality product, and um, the only thing that's stopped me from buying them is that they cost money. Um, mm-hmm. But they do look like a better a better film holder than the cheap, flimsy plastic stuff that you get with the uh, scanners. And the fact that you can adjust the height on them does mean you've got a yeah. much better chance of getting that focus just right.
2: When I got my scanner, I bought it secondhand from somebody, and it didn't even have any of the inserts. So for a long time, I was just... Putting my negative between two pieces of glass, you know, and like just setting it there, and then after a while, I was like, "Oh, this sucks," you know. Yeah. And then I found this guy who's make who makes these inserts, and you know, he makes them in his house or whatever, and sells them. And so I was like, "Okay, cool," because I got my I bought my scanner off of a Craigslist for like I don't know twenty bucks. You know, I mean, it's like I just didn't have the inserts.
0: That's a pretty good bargain. 20 bucks is a pretty good bargain for getting a hold of any yeah. scanner. So. Except for
2: the whole scanner? Wow. Yeah, the, everything. Yeah, the whole thing. It, it, it ha- Just the bottom have um, It has the, in, you know, like how it has, if you're like scanning a, a black and white, like a document, you can put that white foam insert in there, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. It, yeah. it came with that uh, in the scanner and all the, and all the cords and everything, but I didn't get any type of inserts with it. The guy sure. was like, I just use it to make flyers for like his. He was like painting houses or something, and he bought a printer that had like the scanner built into it. And he's like, "I'm just tired of paying my house at twenty bucks." I was like, "Okay, nice."
1: Yeah. Five yeah. years yeah.
2: later, it's still going. <laughs>
0: good work. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, well, we'll try and. Can you remember what the name of the website is, Corey, off the top of your head? I don't. No, I. If you if you scan. Film holders, Epson. You know, you you'll probably find it. There's not. There's not a lot of choices yeah. on that. Um, Custom so that,
2: film holders.
0: Yeah, you you will find it, and they do look really good. And they come in, They've got a few different sizes, so definitely worth checking out. Um, we also had an email this week, which I won't read out because it's one that's at more gadget stuff. So for the upcoming Ooh. gadget show that Rachel and Ada determined is going to happen, um, <laughs> despite resistance from everybody else. No, I'm just kidding. Hey. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the one thing, that, the one thing Alex does tag on the end there. He he wants to know is when there's going to be a a um western west country meetup, um because um yeah the the meetups so far have all been London based. Now I've got um, some information and a little bit of another one coming up, but uh, yeah we do need a western UK sunny sixteen meetup at some point. So if you are in the west country or Wales or somewhere like that, and this sounds like a thing you might be interested in doing, yeah, drop us a line to so get an idea of who's out where and doing what and would be up for doing it. Um, anyway, so that's this week's emails. Um, Corey, who would you like to shout out to?
2: Shout out to Pat McGroin. Yeah. Pat underscore McGroin. <laughs> I'm going to be going on vacation and i he lives uh, in my state uh, six or seven hours away. and We're going camping. So I'm going to meet up with him and we're going to uh, do some walking around, take some pictures uh, I think he has to work the day of the of the big eclipse, but we're going to go walk around Asheville and have some coffee, and I'm going to ask him some questions and and talk to him and get to meet him. So it's going to be fun. Fantastic! Are
1: you, awesome. are you going to do a say uh, a field report?
2: Yeah, I'm going to be the me and Pat are going to be the North American affiliates. You know your contacts over here and <laughs> <laughs> make fools of ourselves in public with cameras. You know. <laughs>
0: As opposed to making a fool of yourself in private, which is your favorite way of doing it.
2: Yeah, it's always funny when you make a fool of yourself with somebody else, though, you know. That's very true. That's very true.
1: Absolutely. Oh, that sounds great. Have loads of fun.
0: Looking forward to it. Rach, what have you got for us this week?
1: Uh, so my shout out this week is for James Mellier. Um, I think he's a new name to yourself, uh, Graham and Corey, but um, he is a, a portrait film photography um, chap and he does some lovely, some lovely work with a Pentax 67, which I've been... <laughs> kind of lusting over shall we say <laughs> um so yeah really uh, really like his his work and uh, his portraiture is is beautiful stuff it's probably somebody that aid might might like um so his uh, instagram handle is at james melia which is m-e-l-i-a he's somebody i would recommend you check out
0: awesome cool I am going to give one last shout. I have been I contacted. We talked to, uh, briefly a second ago about meetups, and there is somebody who's got a meetup being organized. So, um, the Instagram user Perfect is the Enemy of Good, who is Alex Bedwell, and at Murphy's Film. Uh, which is Garth Murphy, and that's spelled M. Um, well, I'll spell both of them at the end. Anyway, they've arranged a little film photography meetup in Manchester. Uh, they are planning to have it on Saturday, the 2nd of September, and they are meeting at the Foundation Coffee House on Lever Street, which is next door to the Real Camera Store. So, if anybody is interested to join them for this walk, they don't have a time on there. Um, so, you know, the, definitely get in touch with more information from those guys. So, that is at Perfect is the Enemy of Good or at Murphy's Film on Instagram to get more details for a film photography meetup and walk in Manchester on Saturday, the 2nd of September. Um, sounds wonderful. Again, these things always either happen in London or rook North, um, and I never get to go to any of them, and it's not fair. Never mind. Can you Aww. go to that one, Rach? Because that's close to you.
1: Uh, I was literally just having a little look in the calendar, and I it, in my calendar it says Keanu Reeves Day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Ooh>. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I, I, which, I can't believe that's not in my calendar. <laughs>
1: yeah i know it's, <laughs> how, how is that not color? and i've just realized this is this is something that um, my husband and i tend to do like each year um we decide on a keanu reeves day and then we just watch all the keanu reeves films that day <laughs> so oh. um saturday september the second is is that for us <laughs> but <Wow. laughs> i'm sure i could squeeze in a, a quick trip over to manchester to have a nice photo meetup. that would be really nice we might just have to miss out some of the worst of the Keanu Reeves films. That's fine. <laughs> I can skip those.
0: <laughs> As the weeks go by, we learn more and more of the strange, strange world that you live in, right?
1: Uh, I know. It's great.
0: Okay, so to finish up, I will throw out again um, the call for gadgets that uh, we are throwing out at the moment. So um, they can be anything. The ones that I've seen coming through in the email so far are, <laughs> range from the exceedingly rustic to the uh, exceedingly high-tech, mostly the rustic stuff. So send those to sunny16podcast at gmail.com, which is our email address, along with anything else you want to write to us about. Um, we always love hearing from you guys about absolutely everything be it royal photographers or scanners or gadgets or just whatever or or questions from the acknowledged uk expert on cyanotypes um (laughs) you can also contact us we are at sunny 16 podcast on instagram twitter facebook we have a Flickr group as well which we will be looking at very soon because we haven't done that in a while um We need to say thank you very much to Chris at pixelatedphotographer.com for hosting us. I am super pleased to report that on Instagram, as recently as yesterday, Chris shared a photograph of a Zenit camera, his old Zenit camera, and some rolls of film. He has picked it up again for the first time in I don't know how many years, and he's giving some analog photography a go again. So I'm really thrilled about that. Um, I feel... A little bit bad that it's a Zenit that he's picked up. I'm not sure that's going to leave him feeling fondly about it, but you know, you, you work with what you've got. Um, and finally, uh, music as always by Rachel's lovely band. Rachel, and who else is in your band, Rachel? We keep saying your band, but there are other people in it. Who else is in your band?
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, Simon's the singer-songwriter, and um, Ed's on bass. Claire's on uh, keys, Chris is on uh, trumpet and flugel, Az is on the drums, and I'm on the electric violin.
0: Splendid stuff. Um, and that's what your album is the Promises I Should Have Kept, which you can find on iTunes or Amazon. I didn't even say the name of the band, did I? Uh, it is pronounced Rocha. That's
1: yeah, correct. We to well done, nice to talk. To
0: and, of course, <laughs> we can't finish up the podcast without giving a shout-out to our absentee uh Buddy, the, the person who should be hosting the show rather than leaving me to flounder at the end, Aid, um, who is away somewhere hot and sunny and glamorous, uh, having a lovely time. Uh, he did spare us a thought, though, um, to let me see if we can find how... It's so hot and sunny there that he's having to use, what is it, a polarizer as well as an ND filter on his <laughs> Veronica to, so that he can shoot his Portra 160 because it's so hot and sunny.
1: Now um, he's just bragging. Yeah, what a bomb. <laughs>
0: Um So yeah, I hope you're having a lovely time out there, dude. Um, I can't believe you've left us to this. But thank you so much again to Corey for joining us. Corey, you've been awesome as always.
2: Thanks, Corey. Thanks a lot for having, <laughs> having me. I like, it's always, it's always fun
0: it's always fun and we will be back next week with more of whatever the heck this is with aid back to make sure it's um, on yay. the rails next week goodbye <laughs> everybody
3: goodbye bye bye
0: oh, we did it guys we made it to
1: the we this. did
3: it yay Woo.